0: This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu <laughs> salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillahirabbil alamin. alameen, wa bihi nasta'inu ala ambur al-dunya wa al-din, wa al al-mutlaqina, wa ala udwani ila ala al-zalameen. As-salamu alaykum wa sallam ala nabina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi. <laughs> InshaAllah ta'ala, um, my brothers and sisters, we're continuing our Tafsir class. We didn't have a lesson last week. Um, apologize for that. But we're continuing off where we left off last time. Which was when we spoke about uh, the ayahs that are related to patience and sabr. And how, among the core uh, principles one should follow when it comes to worship, is to have patience, because worship is not easy. And Allah subhanahu wa taala spoke about following the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and following the guidance, and that, that requires sabr. This is why Allah subhanahu wa taala, after telling us about many types of worship, said, "Ya amanu amanustainu bi sabri wa salah," or "You who believe, seek aid." You have a lot of commandments that you need to follow. A lot of prohibitions you need to stay away from It's not going to be easy So utilize patience Be patient When you wake up for fajr When you need to collect that money to go to hajj uh, When you need to provide for your family When you need to come to the masjid on a cold day These things require patience. patience And patience is not something that only uh, is for ibadat It goes more than that You need to also have patience regarding calamities and not only will you face calamity in this world And the ayah that spoke about Allah will test us وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ And we will test you بِشَيْءٍ مِّنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ ونقص مِّنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ With some of fear, hunger, uh, the, the, the reducing of wealth And the losing of life and property and crops So here you're being told that your life is not going to be easy all the time You will face some difficulty and one of the, uh, the benefits in this eye is Allah says, We will test you with some. Meaning what? Rarely will you find someone whose life is 100% evil, 100% calamity. You have good days, you have bad days, right? And you should be uh, grateful on the good days and you should be having patience on the difficult days. Now what do you get when you have, when you have patience? Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here, O Muhammad, give glad tidings and good news to those who have patience. They are those who when something happens to them, they say, Inna wa indeed you belong to Allah and Him we shall return. If they do that, they will get blessings from their Lord. Allah will bless you, Allah will mention you in good and shower you with blessings and mercy and you will be among the guided. So, here you're learning, you need patience with worship, have patience. You need patience with life, have patience. If you do so and Allah will test you, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you mercy and blessings and you will be guided. This is where we left off. Now, uh, verse 158, it's speaking about Safa and Marwah. Safa and Marwah are two hills or two small mountains that uh, we run in between when we are doing Hajj or Umrah. The reason we run in between them is a homage or a tribute to the struggles of Hajar who did so when she was looking for water for her son Ismail, and it is among the rites and among the rituals of Hajj. Just like you have the tawaf, and you have the sa'i. The sa'i is the running between two hills. The tawaf is the circling around the Kaaba, and you have other rituals as well. In here, Allah subhanahu wa taala says, "Inna safa wal marwata min Indeed, safa and Marwa are among the rituals. Or the rites Or they are among uh, the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So they are symbols of dedication, devotion and worship That's how we should perceive Safa and Marwa When you hear about Safa and Marwa They are symbols of ibadah People go there to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, When Hajar was there, she was there Because of a commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Ibrahim left her there All of it, it comes back to devotion and worship right? Even these symbols, that, these acts that we do in Hajj they symbolize devotion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they are Sha'air. So whoever goes to hajj, whoever visits the house, we'a tamarah or does umrah. there is no sin on him, there's no blame on him. bihima, there's no offense if he circulates between them. And here Allah is saying And anyone who does good of his own accord Will be rewarded for indeed Allah rewards Good deeds and knows everything Now this is a very interesting verse We all know that Running between Safa and Marwa Is things that we are supposed to do, correct? Here Allah is saying Whoever does that There is no offense There is no sin There is no blame on him Almost as if you would expect to be blamed So when you read this verse It doesn't really make sense If you don't understand What is the backstory to it And here you learn something very important Sometimes ayat Will not make sense Unless you know Why they were revealed Or what is the story behind it Which is why The study of Tafsir Is not just translating the Quran It's providing context to the verses Because In in, in this verse If we just read the verse It says Indeed Safa Marwah are among the symbols of Allah. So for those who make hajj or umrah to the house, there is no sin or offence on them to circulate between the two, between and Marwah, and anyone who does good of his own accord will be rewarded, for indeed Allah rewards good deeds and knows everything. So if you do so, if if you do uh, if you run between the two hills, then there's no sin on you. But shouldn't they say you should run between two hills, it's wajib upon you? the story behind this goes as follows and in fact there was one of the tabi'is Urwa ibn Zubair Urwa the son of Zubair ibn al-awam who studied under Aisha right she was his aunt his maternal aunt his mother was Asna bint Abu Bakr, and his aunt was Aisha bint Aibakar, the wife of the Prophet he said to her I don't think or he, he understood from this ayah that Safa and Marwa running between Safa and Marwa is not obligatory He said, it's not obligatory. You mean, you go hajj, you don't have to do it. You do your tawaf, you pray, that's it. And he said, well, how do you come to that conclusion? He said, well, Allah is saying here, if you do that, there's no sin. Meaning, there's not a lot of importance put on it. Does that make sense? So he read the ayah at face value. And he said, I have made hajj with the Prophet. I have made hajj with the companions. And none of them understood it this way. Rather, what this is referring to is as follows. The Ansar, specifically, or the companions generally, they were uneasy doing the acts and the rituals that were done by the polytheists of Quraysh. They didn't like to copy them. So when the idols were removed from the Kaaba, and the idols were removed from, there were two idols on Safa and Marwa. Safa had one idol, and Marwa had another idol. And Quraysh used to run in between them, and they used to glorify these idols. So some of the Ansar, they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to do something that was shirk related. So they were like, yeah, we're not going to do that. So uh, the, And they felt that if they did, they would be sinful. Are you guys with me? They felt like if we do this, we are reenacting something Quraysh used to do, which was shirk. Therefore, we're not going to do it. Then Allah says, al No, don't think like that. Safa and Marwa are from the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? فَمَنْ حَجَّ الْبَيْتَ وَإِعْتَمَرَ Whoever does hajj or umrah فَلَا عَلَيْهِ There is no sin or blame or offense. If they, if they circle between them. So, does the verse make sense now? It is, it is answering a question not referenced here. Telling you the importance of understanding the backstory of the Qur'an. And this is why. The Qur'an should be read and should be studied alongside the sunnah. Or the Qur'an should be studied like this, with tafsir. Mere translation will not help. A lot of people think if you read the Qur'an translation, that's enough. It's not enough. The Qur'an requires clarification and explanation. And this is why tafsir is really important. Tafsir is really important. Uh, Another benefit of this ayah is that the Allah is saying, whoever does Hajj or Umrah, then let him, uh, then there is no sin on him if, they, if he does the Sa'i between Safa and Marwah. Here you understand something else. A lot of people don't know this. You know when you go to Hajj and Umrah, you're allowed to, to, to do Tawaf all the time, anytime. There is not a time where you are not allowed to do Tawaf. right? Generally speaking, all the time you do Tawaf. Right? You can do tawaf in the morning, in the evening, every time, after every salah. Although, uh, uh, the Saudi government puts restrictions on tawaf, on, on, on which makes sense because sometimes what happens is, especially during hajj and umrah times, when it gets really busy, uh, imagine you travel all the way there and you're wearing an ihram and you're trying to do your umrah, and then someone who lives in Mecca, who doesn't have to do umrah, just normally is, is making tawaf. Now, what that does is, it makes it a lot more crowded. And it makes it a lot more difficult. So, sometimes uh, people would be uh, um, a bit bothered by the fact that the people that live in Mecca sometimes make it very difficult for the hijjaj, Right? Because they just woke up and they're coming in and they want to do tawaf. But, if you have, I don't know, a thousand people that are doing hajj or umrah. Or umrah, hajj is a lot more. And then you have another thousand that live in Mecca that just wants to do tawaf. All of a sudden, it's going to get a lot more crowded, isn't it? It's going to get a lot more crowded. So, uh, this is why sometimes they put restrictions on this, which makes sense. But generally speaking, you can do tawaf it doesn't. It's not connected to umrah or hajj. Sa'i, between the hills, Safa and Marwah, is connected to hajj and umrah. Some people don't know this. So, they'll, they'll go and do, they finish the umrah, and they'll go and do sa'i anyway. In other words, the only time you're doing sa'i is when you're wearing your ihram, right? But, outside of it, you can do tawaf. Does that make sense? Allah is saying here, indeed, safa and marwa are from the sha'air of Allah. The word sha'air, sha'ira, is religious symbol. A religious symbol, sha'ira. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah, taqwa Whoever... Uh, uh, glorifies or whoever um, sanctifies the religious symbols of Allah indeed that shows piety in the heart this means you should always uh, uh, see the as something that is great something that should be respected who can give me an example of a sha'ira a religious symbol what comes to mind? the adhan barakallahu feek the adhan that's a religious symbol right? the adhan the eid prayer these are all sha'ir things that and show that there is a Muslim community here. Things that show that people are glorifying Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and these religious symbols should be—you should respect them, you should respect them, you should, and you should honor them. And that includes the Kaaba, of course. It includes Safa and Marwa, of course. It includes all these places that we go to for Hajj and Umrah. They are But When you So, going back to the verse, we learn here that Safa and Marwa. Uh, are from the Sha'ai of Allah. Whoever does hajj to the bait, if you come across the word bait in the Qur'an, it is referring to the Ka'aba. The illafia Qraysh, Eli Hazar Shita was say, Falya Abu Do, Rabba Hadal, Let them worship the Lord of this house. The house is the Kaaba. It is the first house established for worship. Right. The first place to be built by for the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the, the Kaaba. Who was the first person that built the Kaaba? I think we covered it here. What did we say? bin we mentioned, al-Kaba. We mentioned that opinion, Adam. Uh, Adam. And, and in the Quran, it references who? Who's building it? Ibrahim and Ismail. Ibrahim and Ismail. And one of the reasons why the ulama say it, it is more likely that Ibrahim and Ismail rebuilt it rather than built it is Allah says. And when Ibrahim was raising the foundations of. So, when you're raising the foundation of something, it's almost something that was already existing, and they just raised the foundation and they rebuilt it, and Allah knows best. And Allah knows best. Tayyib. Uh, what is the difference? Umrah can be done any time during the year, Hajj is only done a specific time during the year. So, Hajj is very specific. It is done starting from the 8th ending at the 13th Hajj lasts for 5 days it is a specific time you can't do Hajj anytime you want Umrah can be done all over the year Hajj is of course longer it has a greater reward in it but according to the majority of scholars both are wajib you are supposed to do Hajj and Umrah and there is one thing I would like to say here two things regarding Hajj and Umrah one, please do it while you are young please go to Hajj and Umrah while you are young it is not meant for someone that is old. Common misconception. I'll do Hajj when I'm older. You have no guarantee. Also, um, you want to do Hajj Umrah when you are physically able, when you can actually... Because once, when, you, when you go to, to the Haramein, you'll come across people that are really old. They can barely do Tawaf. They are struggling. They can barely do Atkar. They are barely paying attention. They are in pain. They are tired. This is not the kind of hajj you want. You want a hajj when you are healthy, so plan it. Second point I want to make. Plan for your hajj, like you plan for your weddings, and you plan for your holidays, and you plan for your careers. Plan for your hajj. Don't let it be an afterthought. Like, save up for it. I'm saving up to get married, I'm saving up for a new car, I'm saving up for a holiday. We, We tend to do that. How often do you hear, I'm actually saving up for hajj? It's almost like an afterthought, something that we consider, oh you do it when your beard is grey. That's not the case. It is an obligation upon you. And among the signs that you respect the obligation upon you is that you actually try and invest. So inshallah ta'ala, I hope that we all uh, be among those that would love to go to hajj. And by the way, it is one of the purest forms of ibadah, fillah that combines both wealth and struggle. So you're physically going and you're putting your money uh, as well. And, no, and there is such a great reward in it, right? The Prophet said in a hadith, it's a beautiful hadith, whoever does hajj, فَلَا um, وَلَا And he does it, You do hajj with all the conditions, and you don't sin in it, and you don't do any haram in it, and you do your hajj the way you're supposed to, رَجَعَكْ يُمُّهُ You'll come back like the day you were born, sinless. And in fact, some ulama say, most hadith, most hadith that refer to your sins being washed away, it is referring to the minor sins. So, if you find the hadith, from one juma'ah to another Jumu'ah, from one Ramadan to another Ramadan, right? they remove the sin in between, it's just minor sins. When you make wudu, it removes your sins, minor sins. Follow up a good deed or a bad deed, it erases it, it's all minor sins. But some of the ulama they say, hajj also is able to erase your major sins. And that shows you again, an importance and, and how valuable uh, uh, this ibadah is. Not to mention you are responding to Allah. What did the hujjah say? La Allahumma la la What does that mean? It means, Oh Allah, we respond to you. Here I am, O oh Allah. Allah called you. Allah invited you, which is why the hujjah are known as the guests of Allah, the Youfur Rahman, the guest of the Most Merciful. So it is an honor to be the guest of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's something you should strive towards. It is said that when Ibrahim built the Kaaba, Allah told him to call the people. Wa fin bil hajji. Call the people. And he asked, Ya Rabbi, who will hear me? And Allah says, don't worry, my servants will hear you and they will come. If you want to be among those, plan for it, inshaAllah ta'ala, go to hajj. If you can go for hajj, at least go for Umrah. Well, that that's if this whole pandemic situation at least gets better, inshaAllah ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive those who died. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala heal those that are sick and protect us as well. طيب. The next, uh, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ شَاكِرٌ عَلِيمٌ So Allah said, فَلَا There is no blame or no sin in the ones that do tawaf, because of course it's an ibadah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed the misconception of the Ansar, because they thought they didn't want to engage in an act of worship that was being done by who? By Quraysh. Then Allah said, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ وَنْ خَيْرًا and Whoever does tawaf, whoever... Does an act according to their own Meaning non-obligatory Tatawr The word means non-obligatory When you do something That you, 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 you do it from your own accord It's not wajib upon you It is sunnah It is mustahab It is recommended It's known as tatawr So qiyamul layl is tatawr Right uh, Fasting Thursdays and Mondays is tatawr Which is why when the Bedouin man came to the Prophet ﷺ and said to him, and this is a very important hadith, he said to him, O oh, Messenger of Allah, uh, he, uh, he first asked him uh, in a very powerful way, he said, uh, um, uh, who, o, o, o Ya Muhammad, who uh, Who created the heavens? And he said, Allah. And he said, I, I make you swear by the one who created the heavens. And he said, Who spread the earth? And the Prophet said, Allah, he said, I make you swear by the one who spread the earth. And he said, Man al Jibal, who created these mountains? The Prophet said, Allah, I make you swear by the one who created the mountains and the sky and the earth, spread the earth. Allah arsalakka, did Allah truly send you? Did Allah truly send you? The Prophet said, Naam, Allah did truly send me. And I said, with what? And the Prophet said, To testify that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. And that I am his messenger, and then he said, and to, to, to pray five times a day, and he said, هل علي غيرهن? Do I have to do anything other than those five? The Prophet said, لا, no. إِلاَّ أَنْ تَطَوَّعَ unless you're doing extra. Remember the word تطوع. Allah said, فَمَنْ تَطَوَّعَ خَيْرًا إِلاَّ أَنْ تَطَوَّعَ unless you want to do extra. And then he said. Uh, anything else? The Prophet said, Yes, you have to pay zakat once a year. And he said, Is there anything else I have to do? I said, No, illa Except if you want to do extra. And then the Prophet told him, He has to fast Ramadan. And he said, Do I have to do anything else? He said, No, illa And that continued. And then the Sahabi, this Bedouin said, Wallahi lan wa la He said, I will never increase in this nor decrease. So he made a promise. I will not do the extra ever. I will never do the extra. But I will never decrease the obligatory as well. And he walked away. He walked away with the plan of doing what? Pray his wife, pay his zakat, fast Ramadan and go to hajj. The wajibat. Do you know what the Prophet ﷺ said about him? أَفْلَحَ in صَدَقٍ He is successful if he is truthful. From this we learn... That doing the obligations is enough for you to go to Jannah. Another Hadith Ma'roof, a companion asked the Prophet, "Ya Rasulullah, Maktabat, Usum Ramadan, wa Halal tu al Haram, wa Haram tu Haram, Halal tu Halal. Hal Adkhul Jannah?" "Qala Nama." A man to the Prophet. Said, "Ya Rasulullah, if I pray my five, if I fast my Ramadan, if I eat only, consume only Halal, stay away from the Haram, will I go to Jannah?" The Prophet said, "Yes." So. That's the bare minimum, but of course you want to do more. This is not an encouragement to stick with the obligations, but rather showing you the importance of them. General principle to have, if you only do the obligations and your imam weakens, you're going to miss out. If you're doing the obligations and you're doing the sunnah, if your imam weakens, at least you fall back to what? To the obligations. Right, and that's the the mindset you should you should have. So here Allah is saying and whoever does whoever uh, does hajj uh, from his own accord, hajj an from their own accord, that's fine, that's khair. Why is that khair? Faith Allah for indeed Allah is shakir. Allah is the one that recognizes good and rewards it. Shakir, the word shakir is to be grateful, but when we say Allah is shakir, it means Allah recognizes the good and rewards you for it. Allah recognizes the good that you do. And Allah rewards you for it. Alimun, and is the all-knowing. And he knows the good that you're doing. He knows the hajj that you're doing. He knows the Umrah that you're doing, and he will reward you for it. One of the things that we need to do more of is associate positive thinking with Allah. When you hear Allah is watching you, it's often a threat, isn't it? Allah is what? Watching you. But Allah is also watching you when you're praying. Allah is watching you when you give sadaqah. Allah is watching you, when, you do, when you're doing good to your parents. So Allah being watchful over you is not something that you should only associate with your sinning and stop yourself. You should also, and similarly, Allah sees you. Allah hears you. Allah hears you when you're doing good as well. In Salah we say, Allah hears the one that praises him. So keep that in mind. Here Allah is saying, Allah is shakir. Allah will reward the good deeds and recognize them. Alim, all mowing of those that collect that money and go to Hajj and go to Umrah and all of that stuff that we were mentioning. The ulama they discuss what is the connection between the ayah here about Safa and Marwa and the previous verses that were talking about patience. Some say the connection is that outside, uh, uh, that one of the ibadat that requires the most patience is Hajj. Because you pay 5,000 pounds and you travel and it's difficult. Another connection is we were speaking about the Qibla before. And the qibla is close associated with Hajj and so is Safa and Marwa. Next verse, says, says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna al-ladheena yaktumun ma anzalna min al-bayyinat wal-huda min baghd ma bayyannahur al-nas fil-kitab, ulaik yallanhumu Allahu, yallanhumu al-laynun. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna al-ladheena yaktumun ma anzalna min al-bayyinat. As for those who hide the proof and guidance we send down, as for those who hide. The proof and guidance that we have sent down. After we have made it clear to the people. After we have made it clear. So, what are they doing? They're hiding the truth and the proofs after Allah has made it clear. What happens to those people? Allah said, As for those, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala curses them. And so do others. So do those who curse. And we're going to explain what la'n means here. Who is I referring to? Who is Allah talking about those that hide the truth? The scholars of Tafsir say This is namely speaking about the Yahud That hid the Prophet's descriptions That were in the Torah When he came to Medina So uh, The Prophet How, who he was And his descriptions were very clearly laid out In the Torah That the Yahud in Medina had this is why one of the reasons why Abdullah ibn salam accepts Islam is he was one of the rabbis of the Yahud. And when he saw the Prophet and he saw that the description of the Prophet, the character of the Prophet fitted perfectly with whom they knew as the final messenger, he immediately accepted Islam. So, and, and this shows you how honest he was. He said, yeah, it's him. So I can't help but accept Islam. Some of them didn't and they chose to hide it. And Allah is speaking about them. So, as for those who are hiding that which we have revealed from truth and huda guidance. مِنْ After we have made it clear to the people they are trying to hide it, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed these, and this is what the scholars of the Yahud did, right? So they would ensure that the masses did not have access to information. This is the whole concept, right? That um, you you... You uh, keep information close to you So that others don't have access to it So you can give your own version And this is what they did They would say propaganda Some of them would say uh, They're lying Muhammad is not mentioned in our books Some of them would say uh, Muhammad is supposed to be the messenger for the Arabs The the messenger for the illiterate people Not for us Etc, etc And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying They are cursed because of the hiding of the knowledge that they did They are cursed because of the deception that they have done there is a principle in tafsir. It's called Al Ibratu. Bi umumi la bi sabab. Al Ibratu. Bi umumi la bi sabab. It means that the point, the point of the ayah is to look at the general purpose, not the specific incident that was revealed about. So we can say the specific incident is referring to it is the Yahud hiding certain qualities of the Prophet mentioned in their book. That's what it's talking about. But it is applying to anyone who hides knowledge from the people. It applies to anyone who hides knowledge from the people. So scholars today, people in da'wah today, people that have knowledge today, if they purposely hide knowledge, then this ayah will apply to them as well. And this is a very important point. When you read the Qur'an and you learn about the Surah nuzul the, the uh, reason of revelation, it is not limited to that. The Qur'an is meant to be a guidance for every time. So if today there are people hiding knowledge from, this is something that should then be, uh, uh, this eye will, will, will uh, apply on them. Um, one incident that uh, comes to mind is um, the author of a book called uh, Tuhfatul arib uh, this was a Christian man. Um, he lived about 500, 600 years ago. Uh, he's, he's called Abdullahi, Abdullahi the the translator, Abdullah Turjuman He had another name, Tromida, Ansam Tromida. If you look him up, Ansam Tromida. He was someone that studied Christianity. He was studying under bishops. He was extremely involved in. in um, he was he was Spanish. He was extremely involved, or Italian, I'm not sure, but he was part of the clergy of the Christian clergy, g- g- growing up, learning about Christianity, until he became the helper or the the uh, uh, understudy of a great bishop uh, of Christianity. And then this bishop gets older So he writes his book he, 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 he writes This is his own biography So he gets older And they would have meetings They would discuss certain issues related to the Bible And as they were discussing it they, the, This bishop became too sick to attend those So he would send him He would send uh, Tormida Who will later become Abdullahi So as he would send them He would come back and tell him This is what you studied This is what we discussed And one day he asked him What did you discuss today? And he said we discussed uh, the meaning of a particular word in the Bible, and who's who's, who's referring to. Uh, the Paraktilis or something like that, al Baraklid in Arabic. So we're discussing who is this referring to. It is a reference of a prophet or an important person, and we were discussing who that prophet is. And he said, "Okay, so what did the people in the council say?" And he said, "Some of them said it's John the Baptist. Others said it's uh, maybe Jesus' second coming. Some of them said it's someone else. Some of them said it's referring to the Holy Spirit." So there were different discussions. And he said, "My son, all of those are wrong. And if I would tell you who it actually is, you would not believe me." And he said, tell me. He said, I won't tell you. And then he insists on telling him. And finally he tells him, I believe that this particular uh, word is referring to the man known as Muhammad. The man known as Muhammad. And he said, if it wasn't for my position, and if it wasn't for I would dare to lose today, I would have proclaimed that he is the final prophet. And I have no doubt that we as Christians have left the way of Jesus Christ. And he tells him, oh my boy, please take heed. And go away from this land and go to the Muslims, accept Islam and accept the faith of Jesus and the faith of Muhammad. And he does so. He, believe, he, t- he actually takes that advice. He goes on a trip, he goes to Tunisia actually, and he learns Arabic. He becomes a Muslim and he becomes very close to one of the uh, um, viziers there. And he, ta- he becomes a translator for him known as Abdullah at Turjaman. Abdullahi and he writes a book refuting Christianity. And that book, it's interesting that I, I haven't found it translated in English. It's in Arabic, to my knowledge. I've seen it in Arabic and I've seen it in Latin I mean, or in Italian or in a different language, but not in English. Uh, maybe someone should definitely translate that book because I read it and it's very interesting. And he critiques the Bible from different, uh, from a perspective of someone that studied it for 25 years or 30 years because he was someone that was an expert in it. So uh, it's really interesting. Um, what is the point I was trying to make here is This bishop was hiding that knowledge This bishop was doing what? He was hiding that knowledge He knew, he's referring to Muhammad He just let it slip or told this one person But he didn't proclaim it loudly He didn't accept it he didn't, And this is the problem sometimes you have Is that the scholars hide knowledge So here Allah is saying as for those that hide knowledge after we have revealed it, Yiktemuna Ma they hide that which we have revealed from the truth and guidance. After we have made it clear to the people in the book, indeed those Allah curses them, and so do those who curse. Meaning the people will curse them, especially on the day of judgment. On the day of judgment, because if someone became misguided because someone else withheld the truth, they will be cursing them. Now what does la'n mean? What does la'n mean? The word la'n, la'anatullah, la'anahumullah. La'n means attartu. To be far away and far removed from the mercy of Allah. That's what it means. And it's something that you should avoid. Don't curse people. Don't say to people because, in essence, what you're saying is, may the mercy of Allah be removed from you. And there's discussions are we allowed to do la'an of even the, the non believers? And the ulama, many of them say you shouldn't. Why? Because rather than saying, may the mercy of Allah be far away from you, you should be hoping for their guidance. You should be hoping for their guidance. And the Prophet and the Hadith, The believer is not someone that curses or insults. Right? But um, uh, there are of course exceptions to every rule. Similar exception, uh, another exception is, Are there times where we are allowed to hide knowledge? Are there times where we are allowed to hide knowledge? Yes. And this is where hikmah comes in. This is where hikmah comes in. Uh, if the wisdom dictates that you should withhold some knowledge, then you should. An example would be one time, Abdullah ibn Abbas, this companion, a man came to him. right. So we're talking about balancing between two things, right? Balancing between you're not supposed to hide knowledge lest you be what? Cursed. And there's a the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, and in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, it is an effort from a companion. He said, tell the people what they can understand. Do you want them to disobey or disbelieve in Allah and His Messenger? Meaning, there are certain type of knowledge. If you start telling these people, they will get confused. Right? So, wisdom dictates that you don't give someone everything, but you look at what they need. Does that make sense? Alright. So, if you're doing that, if you are... Uh, keeping some knowledge hidden Are you going to be among those who are cursed Because Allah is talking about those that, If they hide knowledge And there's a hadith mentioned Man uh, Whoever hides a knowledge on purpose That he will be punished on their judgment So how do you reconcile these two things The Sahaba would struggle with this as well The Sahaba would struggle with this as well And there are, there's evidence to suggest That you are allowed to hide knowledge What's the first evidence to suggest That you're allowed to hide knowledge A hadith from the Prophet himself The Prophet ﷺ said to Muadh one time the right of Allah is a long hadith. I'm going to summarize it. The right of Allah is to be singled out in worship, and the right of the people that Allah has put on Himself is if they do so, they won't be punished. What's Allah's divine right to be singled out in worship? If the people do so, what is their right to not be punished? In other words, if you single out Allah in worship, where will you go? You'll go to Jannah. When the Prophet told this to Mu'adh, Mu'adh said, "This is great. Shall I not tell everyone?" As long as you have to feed, the will go to Jannah. The Prophet said, no. Don't tell them. Because they will rely on this. They will rely on the fact that they are believers and they say, and they won't do their actions. So the Prophet instructed Muadh to withhold this knowledge from the people so that they don't rely on it. And the Prophet didn't mean to hold off indefinitely, but it was not the right time to share that. Does that make sense? Right? Uh, it's like, so we have a present in the Quran and Sunnah of withholding certain information and Ali ibn dalib said, don't tell the people everything. Because if you tell them, you have to look at qadr uqulihim what they can understand. A young child cannot take the same information as an older person. Someone that just entered into Islam, you can't give them everything. They have to give them a bit. The person has to adjust, right? It's like walking into a bright room after you leave a dark room. It's, you need time to What? Your eyes need time to to adjust So Abdullah ibn Abbas A man comes to him Says to him If I kill someone do I have Any hope in repentance He said to him no There's no repentance for you If you kill someone There's no repentance for you if you kill someone It's over Now we know that You can repent from every sin right So this is quite interesting then, a while, another man came to him and said, Is there any repentance if you kill someone? And he said, yes, there is. Seemingly conflicting information. Conflicting fatawa. His students, the tabi'een, they said, Ibn Abbas, are you, wh- wh- why, why are you giving people different information? He said, "Amal الْأَوَّلِ يُرِيدُ أَنْ يَقْتُلُ الْآخَرُ فَقَدْ as for the first one, he was planning on killing someone So it made sense for me to tell him he has no hope So that he doesn't go and kill someone Right? If I told a person that is ready to kill someone Allah would accept your repentance if you are sincere Then this might encourage him, right? And the other person was regretful And he looked like someone that had already done the deed So this person, do you need to give him hope or not give him hope? You need to give him hope If you don't, he might kill you, right? So uh, this is looking at the the situation of the people and looking at the situation of the person. Another one uh, is another example I can give is it happened with Anas bin Malik, and I'm going to conclude there inshallah taala. Anas bin Malik, Anas bin Malik, Allah He was among the companions that lived for a very long time. So he lived during the era of a man called Hajjaj bin Yusuf Thaqafi. Hajjaj was a dictator, tyrant, bloodthirsty man. Whom the scholars differed over whether he is a believer or not. And he was among the governors of, of the Umayyads, of the Umayyin, And uh, he was a very, very um, evil man. He came to Anas ibn Malik. He was a Muslim, by the way. He was a Muslim. He came to Anas ibn Malik. Uh, there is Khilaf if he was Muslim, but the majority of the scholars say he was a Muslim. And he said, Anas, tell me the worst punishment the Prophet ever dealt with someone. The worst uh, uh, punishment the Prophet hashed out someone. Right. Can you imagine a tyrant who's known for his uh, the violence asking that kind of question? So Anas and Malik told him the truth. And he told him that the worst that I know is what the prophet, how the Prophet dealt with the people of the Oraniyin. Now the Huranayeen were a group of people that came I'm going to really summarize the story It's a bit longer They came to Medina And they, took, they asked for shelter and help And the Prophet Sahaba gave them that And then they got sick And they were told to go drink from the camels And they were be given they were, The Prophet and the Sahaba were very hospitable to them And they decided to kill everyone that was guarding those camels And steal them Not kill them, kill them And, and kill them and mutilate them they did that and they sold the camels right? Okay, this is a horrible thing that happened So the Prophet وسلم, went after them And got them And took the camels back And did exactly to them what they did to the people Is that fair judgment or not fair judgment? Very fair So NSW Mike shares this to Hajjaj ibn Yusuf now Hajjad needs to know Oh, so the Prophet did something like this it Almost like it might justify a lot of what he's doing al Hassan al-Basri, this great tabi'i said I wish he didn't tell him this hadith For he's going to abuse it Does that make sense? So what do you learn there? What is Hassan al-Basri saying? That I wish that this hadith was not told to Hajjad Because he's saying that certain people Certain information is better to be what? To be hidden from certain people. So these innocents that I just told you, the Prophet telling, telling Mu'adh bin Jabal to not tell that hadith because people rely on it and not do good deeds. Abdullah ibn Abbas essentially hiding the information that there is a repentance open for the one that kills because this person is planning on killing. Ali ibn Balib saying, speak to people at their level. Uh, Hassan al is saying, I wish Hassan al did not say that hadith. These are all evidences that show that you are allowed in certain scenarios and in certain cases to hold back on the information you give. And that does not put you into the category of the people that were cursed because they were hiding knowledge. Question then, who is in that category? Those that hide knowledge with a malicious intent. Those that hide knowledge in order to misguide people. Those that hide knowledge in order to make things, in order to... um, they are not doing it for a greater purpose And they're not do- And that means it should be done momentarily and, and not for everyone It's not a rule that applies everywhere An example of that would be the Yahud Who hid the descriptions of the Prophet In their Torah So that people don't become Muslim Now what would have happened If they came out and said to everyone Here it is These are the descriptions of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Many people might have become Muslim So you see how This is the type of hiding of information that is not allowed this is the hiding of truth that's not allowed That will lead to being cursed May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us uh, From that May Allah make us among those that follow the truth wherever they are uh, Quick summary of the lesson We spoke about the first ayah The first ayah was about Safa and Marwa And how Allah says If you do uh, the sa'i in between that you are There is no blame on you And that, that was referring to the Ansar And some of the Sahaba that thought It was blameworthy to do it Who can tell me why? Why do they think it was blameworthy to do it? Because because Quraysh were doing it and they didn't wanna they didn't want to revive a Shirki tradition. But then Allah is telling them, forget about that. Safa and Marwa are a sha'a mean A sha'ira meaning a symbol of ibadah and worship. And then we spoke about how Allah is then encouraging us to do it and not just go but also do tada. What's Voluntary acts Voluntary hajj Voluntary um, And indeed Allah recognizes the good that we do And is all knowing And then Allah spoke about those that hide the knowledge Primarily who was that referring to? The Yahud Who hid the descriptions of the Prophet But it's a principle that applies to all who hide knowledge But is that rule general Or are there some exceptions? There are some exceptions. Barak Lafikum Hadawa alhamdulillah As-salamu alaykum, wa rahmatullahi barakatuh. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit ww.greenlane dot org